Mildred Lawson, Chapter Twenty One of Celibates by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James Carson. Mildred sat in the long drawing room writing, not at the large writing table in front of the window, but at an old English writing desk which had been moved from the corner where it had stood for generations. She bent over the little table. The paper-shaded lamp shed a soft and mellow light upon her vaporous hair, whitening the square white hands till they seemed to be part of the writing paper. Once or twice she stopped writing and dashed tears from her eyes with a quick and passionate gesture, and amid the rich shadows and the lines of light floating up from the tall red curtains, the soft Carlo Doce like picture of the weary and weeping girl was impressive and beautiful. The marble clock at length struck twelve short tingling sounds. Mildred closed the blotting-book. Then she closed the inkstand and went up the high staircase to her room. A sensation of chilliness, of loneliness, was about her, and when she came to her door she entered her room abruptly, as if she feared the dead man and standing in the middle of a room watching the yellow flame of the candle she thought of him she could see him pale and stark covered by a sheet the watchers on either side she would like to go to him but she feared the lonely passage and she sat watching the bright sky and without belief or even hope she wondered if harold's spirit was far beyond those stars sitting with god in some auroral heaven amid aureoled saints and choirs of seraphim but this dream did not detain her thoughts she turned into remembrances of a kind-hearted city man who went to town every day by the ten minutes past nine train who had taken the world as he found it and who unlike her had never sought to be what he was not then her thoughts moved away from herself and she feared that she had been a great trial to him. But regrets were vain. There was no use regretting. He was gone. She would hear no more of the ten minutes past nine. He would go to the city no more. And in a few years he would be forgotten by everyone but her. How unutterably sad, how unspeakably sad, how unthinkingly sad it all seemed and oh how commonplace in a few years she too would be forgotten in a few years they would lie in the same ground forgotten it would be the same as if they had not lived at all how sad how infinitely sad how unthinkingly sad and yet how commonplace but what would happen in the few years that would intervene before she joined him in the earth what she had four thousand a year to dispose of as she pleased to do with as she liked but this fortune meant nothing to her she had always had as much money as she had wanted her purse had always been hers money did not bring happiness at least it had not brought her happiness and less now than ever would it bring her happiness for she desired nothing she had lived her life there was nothing for her to do she had tried and failed. She had tried everything except marriage. Should she try that? She had promised Alfred that she would marry him. 
he had proposed to her that afternoon one man dying another proposing to marry that was life every day the same situation at this very moment the same and the same will continue to the end of time what is it that forces us to live there is nothing to live for except trouble and misery and yet we must live what forces us to live what makes us live enigma nature whatever that may be forces us to live wills that we should live and i too like millions of others must live but how am i to live how am i to fill my life if we live we must find something to live for take a studio and paint bad pictures i couldn't go back to paris and start a salon i wonder then the desire to weep overcame her and so as to be able to surrender herself wholly to grief and tears she took off her gown and, and released herself of her stays she put on an old wrapper and threw herself upon the floor she threw herself over to this side and that when she got to her feet her pocket-handkerchief was soaked and she stood perplexed and a little ashamed of this display of grief for she was quite conscious of its seeming artificiality yet it was all quite real to her only not quite real as she would have had it be she had wept for herself and not for him but no it was not so she had wept for them both and she had taken off her gown not because she was afraid of spoiling it no such thought had crossed her brain she did not care if she spoiled her dress or fifty dresses like it no it was not on account of the dress but because she felt that she could find a fuller expression of grief in a loose wrapper than in a tight dress that was the truth she could not help things if they did seem a little incongruous it was not her fault she was quite sincere though her grief to a third person might seem a little artificial it was impossible to regret her brother more than she did she would never forget him no not if they buried him ever so deep she had been his little sister a long while they had been children together since father and mother died they had been alone in the world they had not understood each other very well they were very different but that had not prevented them loving each other very dearly she did not know until this evening how dearly she loved him she sat down by the window took a pensive attitude and abandoned herself to the consideration of the pitifulness of life she could see her life from end to end her father had died when she was quite a child but she preserved a distinct impression of his death she and her mother had come to pray by the bedside for a last time the face of the corpse was covered with a handkerchief and the nurse had warned her mother not to remove the handkerchief but in a paroxysm of grief her mother had snatched the handkerchief away and mildred had been shocked by the altered face though she had hidden her face in her hands the dead man's face had looked through and she had felt nothing but disgust her mother's illness had been protracted she and harold had known that she was going to die for at least six months before 
and they had come to talk about it as they would of the coming of summer or the approach of winter they had got so accustomed to the thought that they used to find themselves making plans as to where they should go for a change when all was over but when the day came harold's resignation broke down he was overcome in click click he was overwhelmed in grief for days and weeks he had said to her mildred if i had to remain here all day i should go mad it is my business in the city that keeps me alive her mother was a simple old lady full of love for her children mildred had despised her mother she had despised herself for her want of love and she had envied harold his sincere love for his mother he had never but she had always been aware of her mother's absurdity and therefore could not grieve quite so sincerely as harold she had known all the while that her mother's death did not matter much very soon she would be forgotten even by harold he would not always grieve for her she would become a faint memory occupying less and less of their thoughts exercising no perceptible influence upon their lives mildred had always feared that she was without a heart and the suspicion that she was heartless had always troubled her in the course of their love quarrels morton had told her that her failure in painting was owing to her having no heart she had felt that he was right she had not loved painting for its own sake but for the notoriety that she had hoped it would have brought her she had never been carried away she had tried to be religious she had changed her religion but she had never believed there was no passion in her heart for god and she had accepted literature just as she had accepted art she had cared for literature only in proportion as literature helped her to social success she had had to do something literature was something the delacours were something their newspaper was something and the time in which her articles had appeared on the front page with her name at the bottom was the happiest in her life she was someone in the delacours household she was the pretty english girl who wrote french so well she was someone no one knew exactly what a mysterious something a thing apart a thing in itself and for which there was no match she remembered the thrill of pleasure she had felt when someone said je suis sur mademoiselle qu'il ne faut une française qui occupe la même position à lourdes que vous occupez à paris self had been her ruin she had never been able to get away from self no not for a single moment of her life all her love stories had been ruined and disfigured by self-assertion not a great unconscious self in other words an instinct but an extremely conscious irritable mean and unworthy self she knew it all she was not deceived she could no more cheat herself than she could change herself that wretched self was as present in her at this moment as it had ever been she was as much a slave to herself as she had ever been and knowledge of her fault helped her nothing in its correction she could not change herself she would have to bear the burden of herself to the end even now when she ought to be absorbed in grief for her brother's death she was thinking of herself of how she would live 
for live she must. She did not know why, she did not know how. She had tried everything and failed, and marriage stared her in the face as the only solution of the difficulty of her life. She had promised Alfred Stanby to marry him that afternoon. Should she keep that promise? Could she keep that promise? A thought fell into her mind. Did Alfred know of her brother's death when he proposed to her? She had heard something about a cigar. Harold had gone to the house to fetch one. A few minutes after she had seen Alfred walking towards the house, had he gone to the smoking-room, found Harold dead on the sofa, and come and proposed to her? "'It is my money, and not myself, that has tempted him back,' she cried, and she looked down the long line of her lovers. She had given her money to Monsieur Delacour, but no, he had loved her whatever the others might think. She knew that was so.' She could have had the Comte de la Ferriere, and how many others? Rich men, too, men to whom money was no consideration. But she had come back to Sutton to be married for her money. And to whom? An old, discarded lover. End of Mildred Lawson, Chapter 21 Recording by James Carson